know that um, Sarah is from France, but Taylor and Sarah are serving there with the Navigators as missionaries, and they are going to be in town all week, and they're going to be sharing from this pulpit next Sunday about the work that God is doing in their midst there in France. And so we would invite you to come and come expecting to hear um, some exciting things that God is doing in them and around them there in France. And then there may also be another opportunity outside of our Sunday morning gathering to get together in a little bit smaller setting and have a little bit more dialogue and that sort of thing as well. So we hope you guys will be here next week. And Taylor and Sarah, we appreciate you guys, and we're glad that you're home. It's good to see both of you. Um, If you ever need a really good, strong hug, Taylor is your guy. I'm just... I don't know about Sarah. She probably gives a good hug, too, but Taylor is your man. So be sure to speak to them this morning before we get out. Um, as you see in front of us today, uh, we're going to have the awesome experience of being able to partake in the Lord's Supper together or to share in communion. And this morning, I want us to talk about the idea of coming to the table, that this is an invitation for communion with Christ. Christian churches all over the world celebrate this holy ordinance of uh, communion. There's another holy ordinance that churches celebrate. Uh, it's baptism. And this is one of the two ordinances that churches uh, partake in, particularly um, in various different ways, depending on the church's expression all over the world. And as we partake in communion here at Gateway, we do this about once a month. Some folks do it uh, Daily, like in the Catholic Church. Some folks do it weekly as they gather. We do it about once a month here at Gateway. Various different groups believe different things about what is actually taking place or transpiring when we partake of communion. But here at Gateway, we believe that communion is reserved for believers, those who have professed faith in Christ and been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and those who are a part of of the family of God. We do not have a position here at Gateway that you must be a member of Gateway Church in order to participate in communion, but we do believe that you must be a part of the family of God and be a professing Christian to participate in what happens here. But the invitation that I want to talk about this morning is not just an invitation to come physically to this table and to physically participate in this ordinance called the Lord's Supper or communion. But I believe that the invitation that Christ offers us for communion is a much deeper, a much richer experience than just this wonderful holy ordinance that we get to share together on a monthly basis. In Luke chapter 22, if you'll turn there with me this morning, we get an inside view into what happened at the first Lord's Supper or the first time when communion was observed and those who were there were the apostles and Jesus. And as you know, the apostles are those who were considered the closest followers of Christ, his best friends, if you will, the inner circle, or maybe even those who were most intimate with Christ. In Luke chapter 22, we'll start in verse 14. It says, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so, as you know, this is the time just prior to Jesus being arrested and ultimately crucified and killed. 
Uh, ultimately, of course, he would be resurrected and raised to new life, and then he would walk some time on this earth after his resurrection, before he ascended to the Father, and then he would promise his return even after his ascension. And we believe that we're in that period of of history after his ascension, but still waiting for and believing in and expecting his return, a very physical, a very literal return. And so we don't know when that's going to be, but we find ourselves at a place obviously historically different than when the apostles found themselves in this passage of Scripture. But if you can imagine, these were his closest followers, those who were most intimate with him, and they had experienced many things with him. Things of leaving their own possessions and families behind to follow him, watching him heal the sick and raise the dead and do many various different miracles. Also, if you can imagine, there would be things that they would have experienced in their relationship with Christ that we would have no record of. And we might only imagine the types of conversations that they would have had and the types of things they would have seen Jesus do and the types of profound words and teachings that he would have given them and maybe even the funny things that they would have shared together and the types of encouragement that he would have given them. But these were those who knew him best, and of course he knew them even better than they knew themselves. And in context here, it's not a part of what we're reading, but he's saying very clearly, somebody's here at the table with me who's actually going to betray me. And he knew what was to come, that Judas would betray him and that he would be sold out for some silver and that ultimately that would be what led to his arrest. But because he loved these people, he had longed for this experience with them around the table prior to his suffering. Verse 16 says, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so here those who were closest to Christ are experiencing with him something that he had invited them to, something that he had longed for and expected and and looked forward to being able to share with them. And particularly, he is inviting them to identify with him in his suffering and ultimately to identify with him in his death. And he's sharing with them that this bread that they are eating is a physical representation of his body, which will soon be broken literally on their behalf. And this wine that they are drinking is the physical representation of his blood that would soon be shed in a very literal sense to cover their sins and to pave the way for them to be reconciled to God. And so as he's explaining these things to them, he's identifying with them and asking them to identify with him in suffering and in death. But ultimately, I believe he's also paving the way for them to identify with him in his resurrection and in life. Because the the suffering that he would face and the death that ultimately would come on that 
cross as he was crucified was not to be finished at that moment. We know that the wrath of God was satisfied in that moment. And we know that Jesus' final words were, it is finished. But it wasn't over when it was finished. What was finished was that the wrath of God was ultimately satisfied. But what was not over was the life of Christ because ultimately he would be resurrected and raised to new life. And I believe that Jesus is inviting his apostles to experience his suffering and his death in preparation for the resurrection that would be to come so they might experience the life that we all have now been invited to experience a life that comes from knowing God and walking intimately with Him. What does communion mean? Well, it depends on which definition you look up, but here's the one we're going to use for this morning. The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or a spiritual level. The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or a spiritual level. And so I believe as we come to the table physically today and once a month, as we partake of these elements and as we also remember the way Jesus told the apostles to, as we remember him, his broken body and his shed blood, his suffering and his death, I believe that Jesus invites us to an intimate personal experience with him. And I think most of us come to this place once a month and we have a different level of reflection about our own condition before God than maybe we do at other times when we're not coming to the table. But I want us to not lose sight that the invitation is greater, it is richer, it is deeper, and it is more intimate than just this physical experience. Ultimately, the invitation for communion with Christ is an invitation for an intimate daily relationship with Jesus himself. It is not just an invitation to bread and wine or bread and juice since we're Baptists and we're scared of wine. But it's actually an invitation to know Christ himself, to sup with him, to feast on him to experience Him for who He is and for what He has for us. Not just once a month, but actually all day long, every day. If you think about the idea of intimacy, it's an idea where there is safety. There's security. Where you are known. Where you know those that you are intimate with. It's an experience where you are completely loved. Where you are completely accepted. And where you can be yourself because being yourself doesn't mess things up. Most of the relationships that we have and most of the experiences that we have are based on an imperfect love. But we were talking this morning in Sunday school that 1 John says perfect love casts out all fear. And it's only that perfect love, that agape love, that unconditional love that we experience in our relationship with Christ. We can never experience that in relationship with others. But it is that intimacy 
that Christ offers us because it is based off of who He is. And ultimately, what we see this morning is that the invitation to intimacy or the invitation to this type of communion, this daily, ongoing, personal, intimate relationship with Christ, this is an invitation that's offered by the Father. Go to John, if you will, or just look up on the screen. Chapter 6, verse 37. And I hate it when people just take like half the verse, okay? So the other half is going to be on the other screen. But I wanted you to see that this part says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And so this is Jesus himself speaking, saying that none of us will come to him, not to this table physically, but to relationship with him unless we are given to him the son by the father now we all know that jesus said i am the way i am the truth i am the life nobody comes to the father unless they come through me and so the only way to the father is through the son but none of us come to the son apart from the invitation of the Father, because those who come to Christ are given to Him by the Father. John 5:19. This won't be on the screen, but it says the same thing in a different way. Jesus Himself speaking says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing." Now we know that Jesus, being one part one person of the triune god one person of the trinity is in many ways the same as god and equal to god and and all of those things but the relationship that jesus had as the son with the father during his time on earth was a relationship philippians says even though he was equal with god That equality with God was not something that he held on to. And so he willingly submitted himself to this father, headship, son, subservient role to the father. And so he says, I can't do anything unless the father shows me what to do. And furthermore, he says, whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. And so as we are invited to this place of communion or intimacy with Christ, we are invited through the Son, but at the invitation of the Father. And I think that's very important. And one reason I do, or one way I want to boil it down and kind of make it a little more simple than it really is, is if you would think about this. One time I went, uh, I was serving a church out in Union Springs, um, not the one where Ira and Jennifer and I met, but another one. And there was a young man out there who was one of my students, and he was a good dude. And the best part about doing youth ministry in the country is you never lack for a place to go fishing or hunting. Okay? There's always good fishing holes and always good hunting spots. And so we went out, and this guy invited me to go uh, fishing. And I said, okay, cool, where are we going? And he said, we're going to go to my grandmother's, and we're going to go fishing. Now, I had not been invited to go fishing at Grandma's Pond by Grandma. But I had been invited to go fishing at Grandma's Pond by Nick, who was 
the grandson. And I assumed that it would be okay for me to go fishing at Grandma's Pond with Nick. But as we got out there and started fishing, Grandma came up and said, what are y'all doing? And I'm like, well, it's funny because I see you, Crystal, and you know who Nick is. Um, And I'm like, well, (laughs) we're fishing because Nick said we can come fishing. And she says, well, Nick can fish here, but you can't. And we just kind of looked at each other, and we both left, thankfully. Um, He didn't make me leave on my own. But she made it clear that her grandson was welcome there, but I was not. And so the invitation of the grandson did not extend the way that it would have had the grandmother herself made that invitation. Now, in a much more significant way, I think we can understand here what it means when someone is in a position of authority and when the one who is in authority is the one who issues the invitation versus the one who is not in authority offering the invitation. And I think at a much more significant level, what we see here is that Jesus has chosen to be in the role where though he was equal with God, he chose not to hold on to that equality. He chose to surrender. He chose to submit himself to the Father. I believe as an example to us that we also would be submissive to and subservient to the Father, but ultimately pointing to the authority of the Godhead. And the Godhead has invited us through the Son to be known by our Creator and to know Him in an intimate way, in a way that we can experience a fellowship in an environment that is safe and secure and loving and accepting. The next part of that verse, John 37b, shows that those who do respond will not be rejected. It says this, The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All that the Father gives me will come to me, And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. Those who respond to this invitation of the Father will be accepted by the Son. We will not experience rejection because the Father and the Son are one. The Father and the Son are about the same business. Jesus is only doing what he sees his Father do. He is only... um, working in the way that his father is working. And so the two are working as one. And the father is inviting us to intimacy, to know the father himself. The only way he can be known is through the son. And as the father invites us to this relationship and gives us to the son, all who respond will be accepted. Romans 10, 13 says it this way. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, whether or not we're in our Presbyterian classroom or our Baptist classroom or somewhere in between, 
creates a whole lot of stuff that we try to figure out. And I'll just go ahead and tell you how I feel on that. The gospel is a mystery. I don't know where part of it starts and part of it stops. And there's a lot of you smart people in here that really are uncomfortable that I don't know. Okay? But I'm real comfortable not knowing. Because the gospel is a mystery. How the perfect, holy, righteous, other creator of all things interacts with me who is flawed and sinful and wretched and incomplete in my knowledge and how he woos me and chases me and pursues me and invites me into this fellowship with him and how it has to be through the Son and the only way to him is through Christ and yet he still empowers me and enables me to have free will and to get to choose some stuff. What? I don't know. We'll talk about that another day. But I don't know how all that comes together. I really don't. And I'm really comfortable saying I don't know because to me it is a mysterious, invisible, supernatural transaction of the exchange life that God invites us to. And the intimacy that we have the opportunity to experience through the Son, to me, goes way deeper than something that I can control up here or something that I can understand up here or something that I can communicate to you in a concise way where we can all repeat it to each other in three or four or five little bullet points. I don't know how it all works, but I do know this from my personal experience, that apart from Christ, I will experience death. Apart from Christ, I will experience destruction. Apart from Christ, I will have no hope, no joy, no peace, no purpose. But in Christ, as I exchange what He has offered me for what I have created for myself, He gives me new life. And He takes me from death to life and from old to new and from dark to light And my experience has been, though I don't know how to communicate to you where his sovereignty and his invitation collides with my free will, I don't know. But I know that when that exchange life happens, he offers me something that this world cannot offer. And he offers me something that I cannot construct for myself. Those who come to Jesus find rest. Those who come to Jesus find rest. We can rest. I can rest. You may not, can You're too smart. But I can rest in not knowing how it all works. Because I can rest in knowing who is doing the work. Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me or upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is that a good invitation? To find rest for your soul? To be at peace with the Creator of the universe, the one who knows you most, the one you know you have offended? The one you know you have broken relationship with because of your sin. The one you know that you have rejected over and over and over in the way that you've chosen to live your life. 
Is that not a wonderful invitation for Jesus Himself to say, exchange your life for mine, and when you do, your soul will find rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but I appreciate the holiness of the ordinance of coming to physically partake in the bread and in the blood. But more than that, I'm so grateful for the invitation that Christ has given us to come to Him in life and to experience the intimacy of relationship with Him. An invitation that's initiated by the Father where those of us who respond will never be rejected and those of us who come to Christ can experience rest, a peace, a rightness or righteousness before a holy God, not because of what we've done, but because of this free gift that God has given us through His Son, the free gift of this exchanged life, so that when God sees me, He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my selfishness. He doesn't see my desire to get what I want and to ignore and reject Him, but He sees the blood of Christ. And because of that, when we come to the table in a physical way, we remember Jesus. We focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection toward Him. And we praise Him for what He has done on our behalf. For making it possible for us to know and to be known. And then we leave this place having experienced this physical ordinance reminded and motivated to walk intimately with Him throughout the week, to be available to be used by Him throughout the week, and then ultimately to be surrendered to Him the way the Son Himself chose not to hold on to Godship or to be the Godhead, but to relinquish that to the Father. We also relinquish what we desire and maybe even what we feel like we're entitled to Because we know that God is greater. And we recognize His authority. We submit to Him. And we surrender our will for His. And we walk in intimacy with Him. Not because we deserve that experience. But because He invites us to that. And He offers that to us freely. And so as we do come now physically to the table. We want to think about this. That this is an invitation from the Father Because of the Son. And we only come if our hearts are right before the Lord. Not because we can get them right, but because Christ Himself has made us right. But we also do consider our condition. Even as believers, are we walking in fellowship with God? Do we have broken fellowship with God? Do we have broken fellowship with other other believers? Do we have other situations happening in our life where we need to right some wrongs before we step into a holy ordinance like this one? Or can we come to this place this morning remembering the sacrifice and the suffering of Christ, identifying with Him in His death, recognizing that it is His broken body and His shed blood that enables us to know and to be known and come to this place with a heart of worship and a heart of praise and an attitude of humility, recognizing what He's done on our behalf, knowing that we couldn't do it for ourselves. Praise be to God 
for his indescribable gift. We'll stand. The praise team will come. You guys will come through the middle as the ushers show you which direction to move. And we'll partake in this time together. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that we get to experience this physical representation of a very magnificent spiritual exchange that you invite us to. But Lord, ultimately, it is an intimate, personal walk with you that you hold out for us. Lord, I pray this morning that if there are those here who have never known this invitation, that they would know it today. And I pray, Lord, that if there are those of us who know this invitation and have responded to your free gift, but we're not walking in fellowship with you, Lord, that we would do some business between you and us in our own hearts privately, and that we would lay down the things that we hold on to, and that we would take up who you are in this exchange life that you offer us. Jesus, as we think about what you've done, we're primarily reminded we couldn't do it for ourselves that we needed a Savior, but we couldn't save ourselves. And so we just honor you, we praise you, we remember your sacrifice, and we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.